Blog Talk Radio. Wow, can you imagine? We're actually live on the air. Somewhere soggy in the Fraser Valley. It's left of the valley with Karen. Karen, hi, Karen. How are you doing? I'm good. How are you, Karen? I'm doing good. And today we have our special guest. guest. Go right ahead. <laughs> His name is Liam. He's here to debate Kevin in a arousing uh, controversy that is gripping the valley. But we'll get to that later. Hi, Liam. Hello. Please tell us about yourself. Um. <laughs> <laughs> well, uh, are we doing that debate right now? I think we'll no, wait. no, we're not okay, doing that right we'll, now. We'll wait, we'll wait. Okay, okay. Well, you know, we got a lot of things on the on the uh, on the show today. Uh, I got. I want to do some uh, some cleaning first. Um, there was. Uh, I want to say thank you to Boris for pointing out that during our very first podcast, because we're professionals, yeah, we actually made a mistake during our uh, segment of uh, this day in history. Uh, Boris pointed out that we. Uh, uh, we pointed out that the uh, there was the uh, World Trade Center city bombing uh, that happened uh, a couple of years ago, uh, and um, we mistakenly said uh, Timothy McVeigh, and of course McVeigh was actually in the Oklahoma city bombing. So thank you, Boris, for pointing that out, and uh, rest assured that the uh, researcher has been fired. It's fired. And uh, we hired somebody new and better at it, hopefully. And thank you all for listening. Anyone who's tuned in, we really love that you're listening to us. So thank you very much, and thank you for it. I guess we should say that uh, if you do want to call in and actually harass us in any way, shape, or form, uh, I believe the number is 646-478-4509. One more time, more slowly, please. 646-478-4509. All right. So we shall, shall we go into our, uh, our uh, first segment should we do the uh, the segment of uh, this day in history? Sure, we can do that. <clears throat> so. It's all yours. Today is today, March 30th. <clears throat> in 1842, anesthesia was used for the first time in an operation. That's pretty cool. That's a huge scientific advancement. Um, I'm sure it made everyone's life much better. Well, the patients anyway. And in 1856, we have the Treaty of Paris, which ends the Crimean War, the first Crimean War. <laughs> uh, this is very interesting, you know, given how things are happening in Crimea right now. And, uh, yeah, hopefully this one doesn't get that far. And in 1870, March 30th, 1870, 15th Amendment to the U.S. Constitution, the right to vote was granted to everyone regardless of race. Nice. Very nice. Now, I gave you an entire list of piece <laughs> of stuff, of, you know, pointing out. And you just went to your little paper that you looked at, like, this hey, morning. Who can say? 15th Amendment. Everyone gets the right to vote. That's a huge step forward for North America, for humanity. So I think that's very worthy of mention. So are you going to read my list or are you just going to ignore it? No. Yeah. <clears throat> okay. <laughs> Thank you. 
Try me, Liam. Well. You're being too quiet. <laughs> <laughs> so in March, March 26, 1827, Ludwig van Beethoven dies in Vienna, Austria at 56 years old. Yeah, Beethoven. <laughs> 1941, March 25th, 1941, Richard Dawkins is born. Ah, yes. Yeah, great geneticist and atheist and speaker and very inspirational person. He's an evolutionary biologist. 1931, Leonard Nimoy is born. Live long and prosper. Yes. He has done so. so. That makes him what, 83? 83. Who would have thought? I love Leonard Nimoy. Yes. He's such a classy guy. Uh, 1884, March 27th, 1884, first long-distance phone call is made from Boston to New York. Wow. And they've been at war over that ever since, I bet. You know, I think, it, I bet you it was over the Red Sox versus the Yankees. It's 100, <laughs> 130 years ago. And now look at what we have. We have cell phones that are smaller than, I just like, they can consider the size of the computers they needed to send, uh, you know, spaceship to the moon and now we've got little tiny iPhones and that's 140 years of progress. That's pretty awesome. 130 years of progress. That's awesome. Um, March 28, 1978, there's a nuclear accident at Three Mile Island in Pennsylvania. Oh, uh, I like this one. <laughs> Everyone in Ontario will hate this. March 29, 1848, for the first time in recorded history, Niagara Falls stopped flooding, flowing due to ice. Wow. Yeah, it's one of those rare, rare events. March 30th, 2002, Queen Mother. The Queen Mother? Yes. The Queen Mother. It says Queen Mother Elizabeth, but it was yeah, the it Queen is. Mother. Yeah. Elizabeth's mother. But it was also Elizabeth. It was also her name. Okay. Elizabeth the first. No. no. Elizabeth no. the first was in Elizabethan times. Elizabeth the second is now. She wasn't ever the queen because she only married King George, which she uh, was the queen. So mother. what was what was the queen's the, well the queen's mother's name then? I can't remember what her name was. She was just the queen mother. Yeah, but the, before that, she wasn't always referred as the no, queen. No, but mom. I can't remember her name to be honest. But anyway, she died. Maybe somebody day. can tell us that. Yeah, write us an email, you know, at uh, left at valley at outlook dot com. Let us know if you know. She was one hundred and one. Oh yes, yes she was. I believe she attributed her long her long life to uh, like the corgis, the corgis and <laughs> and, the, and the gin and tonic every day. I think that was the secret of her longevity. Sounds very right. Um, March thirty first, fourteen ninety two. We're going back quite a ways now. Queen Isabella and King Ferdinand of Spain expelled Jews who wouldn't accept Christianity. Well. Uh, 1889, the Eiffel Tower opens. That's pretty cool. cool. That they, is cool. Parisians thought it was a monstrosity and they didn't like it. Well, it torn down at the end of the exposition. Yep. Were they, did they tear it down or were no, they, they supposed did, to? Did they, they tear it down the Eiffel Tower? No, no, but I mean, maybe <laughs> maybe they tore it down and rebuilt yeah, it or something? No, they, they no. kept it, but the population really wanted it gone. Eyesore. What an eyesore. A skull on the face of Pettis. That's right. <laughs> March 31st, 1918, that would be, uh, you know, four time. Daylight saving time went into effect. And we're still reaping that. <laughs> I hate that. <laughs> and in March 31st, 1949, Newfoundland becomes Canada's 10th province. Yay, Yay, Newfoundland! We're glad you're here, even if you sometimes aren't. But Again, Canadian jokes up. have never been the same ever since. <laughs> <laughs> okay. 
Um, there's a few things in the news I wanted to talk about that's been going on in the area. I wanted to have your opinion about this. Um, there's a few... Uh, where is it? Okay, um, last week, the uh, Fraser Valley Institute came out with a, a school list of their rating. Uh, the Fraser Valley, sorry, the Fraser Institute, not the Fraser Valley Institute. The Fraser Institute came out with their, uh, their school listing. It's always controversial. You guys have an opinion on that? Uh, I just ignore that because I don't feel it. That's based on the FSA. Yeah. Based entirely, for primary schools, it's based entirely on FSA. In, a, in secondary school, they use um, provincial test results, which automatically leaves out uh, a lot of subjects shop or whatever, anything that doesn't have a provincial provincial exam. And uh, I don't know, There's I can't remember all the facts now, but there's a few other things that make it really skewed. And, uh, and it doesn't take into account anything like citizenship, nothing extracurricular, none of the other things that actually make citizens, good citizens of students and show what the teachers do to support the students. Yeah. It's purely and test results. Yeah, and their, their results are always the same. The private schools are good and then great and on top of the list. The public schools, no, they're at the bottom. So it's always the same thing. And frankly, I, I don't even know why people even listen to the Fraser Institute. We all know who it's funded by, and we all know their I don't. Agenda. Who's it funded by? Tell me. Well, one of the funders are the, the Koch brothers in the United States. And uh, they have a very uh, right-wing, privatize-everything agenda. So, mm-hmm. I don't but still, you know, they, they come up with outrageous studies all the time. And people look at them for some reason, just because they have that think tank thing. The, for the FSAs, um, a lot of, well, I, don't know, I don't have statistics to back this up, but I do know that there are schools who will coach their students just to do well on the FSAs. The private schools do that a lot. Yeah. Yes, so that's at the expense of the regular curriculum. They're coached to do well on this one test that happens on one day of the year, and, uh, and then their regular curriculum gets left by the way. It kind of reminds me of that uh, the time where um, it's a bit like when you take your driver's license. You know, they give you all the pointers so you can pass the test. Well, you actually kind of learn to drive after you actually have the driver's license. That's really where your experience and your your learning actually occurs. They give you the pointers, and I think those tests kind of do the same. Anyway, moving on, um, the measles vaccination problem that's still happening uh, uh, around Chilliwack and in the Fraser Valley. Um, what do you guys think about that? I mean, there's still those anti-vaxxers and a lot of them, it's prompted by religious belief. Any comment on that? Well, um, the... the uh, that's, the, 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 that's the, wonderful the, the, radio we got so far, people. <laughs> wonderful, wonderful. I'm All trying right. to remember that it's... <laughs> the health authorities are trying to eliminate, eradicate measles in Canada. And... They do a good job of that and of working towards that. And measles has steadily been on the decline in Canada. But this particular case was not an endemic case. It originated elsewhere. This person got measles when they were traveling and they came back and it spread. I think it's the Netherlands. I think they came back on vacation, I think. That's patient zero. That's what they say. So, um, yes, they do spread in communities, obviously, where people don't vaccinate. If your own child is vaccinated, you don't really have anything to worry about. Uh, I understand that people want to eradicate measles, and that's a worthy cause. Personally, I don't like scaremongering, and I think that happens a lot in the media. So, Yeah, yeah. I mean, uh, this, uh, I have a, a hard time understanding why people want to vaccinate for something like measles. If you don't want to vaccinate for for the flu or HPV, well, you might 
have a, some bit, something of a case. But anyway, we won't get into that. We'll, I'm sure we'll make some kind of segment on this later on in another show. But I wanted to talk about Randy Hawes. Randy Hawes apparently is not very happy with the uh, the group that's running City Hall in Little Mission, and apparently he's alleged uh, to, or he's basically saying he might throw his hat in the ring to run for mayor once again. What he said is that a lot of people have approached him to um, to and asked him to run for mayor again, and he's considering it. Yeah. Um, wow. Where to start with something like that? I am. No, I don't. I don't want to slander the guy here, but <laughs> oh, you shouldn't. <laughs> Let's start with the facts. He was elected in 1993 for the first time as the mayor of Mission, and he had three consecutive terms as the mayor of Mission. He went straight from mayor, actually left partway through his term to become the MLA for uh, what is now the Abbotsford Mission riding, but it was different then. And yeah. so he was re-elected in 2005. That was a very close election. They remade the electoral boundaries, and he was re-elected in 2009 in the new riding of Abbotsford Mission. Now, in my opinion, it's only worth that much. Uh, I was not here when he was mayor of Mission, uh, but I was here uh, during his MLA, and I thought he was not... I don't know. He, he, I didn't think he was a great representative uh, for the area. I mean, uh, I remember a couple of meetings that I had in his office when they were forming the Citizens for a Responsible Municipal Government. And um, he had a big hand in this. And uh, the, the, the meetings were held in his office. And <laughs> they sort of made the mistake of inviting me at the time because he didn't exactly know where I stood politically. And what I saw there kind of made made me sick, really. Um, <laughs> there was a lot of fear-mongering and a lot of disrespect to the citizen and you know this is the kind of guy that this is the guy who basically went to city hall admission at the time where they decided to close the hospital and say well you know if i was sick i would rather be treating abbotsford anyway uh yeah those are the things that people tend to forget i mean i wasn't here when he was mayor so i I don't i can't comment on his mayorship but um he certainly was behind the slate of people who are now in Mission City Council who who are slowly imploding. Know what that means? That they've all left that yeah. particular slate. And he says now that well, they haven't he, all left, but they mean they're, they're okay. And they haven't left government, no. But they the slate has kind of well, yeah, dissolved. Depends who you ask. But uh, this, you know, Einstein said many many years ago. He said, you know, insanity is doing the same thing over and over again and expecting a different result. So if people in mission are going to vote for this fellow, and they have every right to do so, um, how could you expect a different result? I mean, this is this is what you you're complaining against something that the guy helped create, and then you're going to send him in there. I you know I shake my head about this, but anyway, we'll we'll have some more about this as time goes by, I guess. Shall we move on to something else? Okay, so we're supposed to be uh, letting her hair down today. We're going to have a debate later on with Liam. Are you preparing for your debate, Liam? Yes. You're going to have it licking, that's for sure. I'm going to wipe the floor. No? You don't? Okay. Well, we'll let the audience decide that. Uh, We also are doing a spot on uh, the devil today. And we're also doing a bit of a spotlight on uh, Bill Nye. Which one do you want to go with first? You go ahead. Okay. Feature presentation. Well, I don't know if you could call it a feature presentation, but today we will be talking about uh, the devil, uh, Beelzebub, the Lord of the Flies, Lucifer. I believe so. Depends who you ask. That, that book is all like a metaphor for evil, right? Yeah, it is, but I didn't. I, I, and that's why I didn't know. 
I was thinking of the book, but I didn't know that the, the devil is called Lord of the Flies. That's kind of interesting. Whoever the the kid who dies first in that book is like the Piggy. Pers- no, no, uh, Simon. Oh, he's a personification of good, right? Ah, uh, yes. Okay, so I'm gonna it's put. A good book. <laughs> I'm gonna put some uh, background music of horror because we're doing something with the devil. Let's set the mood. All right. Around two thousand years ago, the Bible was written, and the devil actually comes from Greek and means the accuser. The Satan, as one word, means the accuser. Uh, the uh, early appearance of the devil, as we know, uh, happens in the book of Job, where he has kind of a contest with God. And this is a horrible story. They put this guy through everything. So, you know, God says, yeah, yeah, put him through everything, kill his family, it doesn't matter. You know, he'll still stay loyal to me. And that's exactly what they kind of did. And if you believe in God, that would do something like that. That kind of sucks. Um Ancient Israels believed that when you died, you went to uh, Sheol. It's a kind of shadow land, apparently. There was no hell or heaven, as per se. Uh, Judaism apparently has no overt concept of a devil. The first ideal of the classic Satan comes about 3,500 years ago in ancient Persia. Um, in ancient Persia, they had many ancient demons. They had horns, tails, beard, fangs. And in ancient Persia, I'm talking about you know Iran, Iraq, Syria. I hope I get this right. Zoroaster. Zoroaster. Okay, thank you. He's an ancient teacher. And um, he, he basically cuts down the devils and the gods because they had the whole bunch, a bunch of them to two. So the whole concept almost, well, not of yin and yang, but, you know, of good versus evil. So he, he just, he simplified it, right? Whole pantheon of gods, and he just reduced it down to one good guy and one bad guy. That's right. So you had uh, Arua Mazda, not to be confused with the car, he was the good god, versus Ahuman, and not the guy from Lord of the Ring either. He was the bad god. So the idea of uh, heaven and hell rises as the world is seen as a battlefield. And his philosophy is, well, you've got to choose which side you want to battle on. A couple of years later, Darius the Great uh, makes it uh, official, he's from the Persian Empire, that's around 500 BC, and then it starts getting into Jewish scriptures. Moving ahead, uh, Alexander the Great defeats the empire, the Persian Empire, and uh, Greek myth is introduced. And this is around 334 BC. And of course, in Greek mythology, you have Hades. And he, be- he basically became the first image of the devil. You know, he, he, Hades wasn't evil. He was actually a god of abundance and justice. Uh, but, uh, and because of that, uh, we always came with the idea that we still have today that somehow the devil... Uh, can still make you rich because Hades exactly was that the god one of the god of abundance. Turn page over. Um, that's, that's interesting. He's the god of abundance and justice. Well, did you say? Yeah, right? and many so things, right? When you die, everyone's equal. <laughs> well, you have the judgment, right? That's why you you go there. You can go in the uh, Liam. You you you're a bit. Uh, well, there's uh, like where normal people go, and then there's like. Places for heroes. Islands yeah, for Tantalus, heroes. Tartarus. Yeah. Well, Tartarus is if you're bad. So yeah, you Tartarus is like that place of special punishment, right? Yeah. Yeah. So uh, at some point during the Greek mythology, Zeus defeats the flying snake Typhron and uh, cast into Tartarus, which is uh, the, the place of special punishment. And uh, this grows into Lucifer and cast out of heaven, basically, is the, the, the same. Uh, the, the whole yeah, myth of Lucifer being cast out of heaven actually originates, apparently, from this Greek mythology. Um, 
Now, the whole Hellfire thing from Hell, that basically came out of uh, Gehenna. And uh, actually, Jesus himself, he, he speaks about that. Gehenna was a rubbish pile that was set on fire and where bodies were burned right outside of Jerusalem. So this is an actual place. Like, it's an actual place. Yeah. It's an actual place. And it, was, it, it inspired Hell's fiery torture because it smelled, it was a horrible place, and you know, dead bodies were tossed there. and It was like the, the garbage pile outside. Uh, so when okay, Jesus Julian. when Jesus talks about uh, warning about Gehenna, it's an actual place. It's an actual place that existed. Uh, but in mytho- the Christian mythology, it became that's where the symbol of hell's fiery torture came from. Uh, various sects also had human sacrifices uh, by fire there, so it was already already seen as a place of evil punishment and, and punishment. Nasty. Yeah, and uh, of course by Jesus' time, the beast. 666 it refers to Nero. Uh, apparently, apparently, Nero uh, in Aramaic is some kind of numerology equals 666. You know, I I think that's a stretch personally, but I have heard that yeah, very positive. But it, it all adds to the myth of the devil, right? Um, <laughs> I'm sure Nero could add a lot to the myth of the devil. <laughs> he was a pretty horrible person. Yes. Um, so then the devil goes through a lot of uh, transformation. Uh, at the dawn of Christianity, uh, he had black skin, kind of like Hades. Uh, uh, Constantine the Great uh, confirmed Christianity on Rome in the, uh, around the Council of Nicaea, 325 Anno Domini AD. And uh, the bishops, now that had, they had real power after Constantine basically confirmed Christianity, uh, used the devil and blasphemy in their laws to eliminate rivals. Uh, the first executions... Uh, from Christians now in power arrive around 450 AD. Uh, the bishops also worry that the pagans are still too po- uh, the, the pagan uh, rituals and pagan religions are still too popular, especially Pan. So then Satan adopts Pan's features: the goat, uh, the face, and the goat, the hoof, uh, feet, and all. Yeah, exactly. And this is where we see that Satan takes on these features because the bishops were so concerned that they, they couldn't kill paganism at that time. Skip ahead to about 400 A.D., and uh, then St. Augustine, wonderful character, goes to war against the pagan gods slash demons, and he creates the, uh, this is funny, the incubine and succubines, which uh, are basically uh, attributed to sexual desire. You know, the incubines, I believe, are the male seducers, and the succubines, the female seducers, and this is where the devil also gets that feature, where all of a sudden he becomes a seducer, and it's bad because St. Augustine thought so. Of course, but so right now, so we should say... The succubines, they would, like, they would lure men in and, and then force them to have sex with them, and then the men would be, like, eternally tormented or something like that? Well, you know, I have a, a hard concept with forcing the men to have sex with you, you know. Especially well, when the whole you're idea of women being evil and powerful and seductive. Exactly. Right? Seductive. Oh, by the way... Uh, this, uh, we're trying to keep this PG <laughs> for the audience. By the Middle Ages, everybody believes in the devil. And I mean everybody. <clears throat> Gnosticism, well, the Cathars are born, and uh, they, they come in and they say that material, everything material is bad, everything spiritual is good. And, of course, this is, becomes a threat to the church because the church is rich. So everything material is bad, and the Cathars are getting more and more popular, and that creates a political problem for the church. So then, turn page over. Pope Innocent III tries to convert the Cathars. So it's some kind of crusade. It doesn't work. So then he has him killed in 1209 AD. And that lasted for about 45 years. 
apparently 100,000 plus died. And then we get to the fun crusade. The what? The fun crusades. The if fun you could, crusades. If you could say that. <laughs> okay. Um, of course, they're going against Islam, trying to reclaim the Holy Land, and Islam is in league with the devil right away. And of course, the Muslims believe the opposite. They believe the Catholics are in league with the devil. Um, the Gregory IX creates the Inquisition, and any oppressor is automatically suspect. Sorry, that's the background music that's still going on, but that's a different background music. Wow. <laughs> I'm starting to feel like we're getting possessed there. Yes, so, I know. Yeah. Um, so, uh, yeah, any oppressor is automatically suspect. So around May 1252 AD, Pope Innocent IV allows the torture of Christians as well. You could torture Muslims before, but now in the effort to get rid of the devil and everything, because he's such a nasty character and has such nasty influence, he also allows the torture of Christians as well. But the torture should follow strict, uh, strict guidelines. <laughs> if you can believe that. Yeah. And uh, the church's new powers are also used to steal the land and farms. It was very easy at that point. This is where they say, well, hey, you know, I kind of like your piece of land there, but hey, all of a sudden you're possessed by the devil. So we'll torture you, kill you, and annex your land while we're there. It just keeps people in perpetual fear, right? Either you're in fear of the devil or you're in fear of the authorities, and it's really hard to, you know, then you're just do whatever they say because you're afraid of either being seen as being like the devil or having possession of the It's a really effective way to keep people in control. Climb to 1307. Uh, the Pope and King Philip of France accuse the Knights Templar because the Knights Templar have grown too powerful. Uh, and uh, they've become kind of like the first bankers in a way. And they're a military arm as well of the church. And this is where we apparently, apparently, get the uh, bad Friday the 13th, because apparently you know, it happens on Friday the 13th of October, 1307, where all the Knights Templars are rounded up in one swift day and essentially executed. By 1320, Pope John XXII targets all kinds of witchcraft, which are, of course, closely linked uh, to uh, Satan and everything. And, he, and he's also tar- starting to target exorcists as well, because he's worried about reverse exorcism to command demons because he's, he's basically thinking if an exorcist can command a demon out, can he not command a demon in to do his bidding? This is where it all, it all, it all goes downhill. Honestly, it's, actually, it's been going on for a while. <laughs> I'm glad I'm sitting in my pentagram right now. I feel much safer. Oh, yes, indeed. <laughs> have some chanting music. Um, so one of those first cases in the Irish city of uh, Calcini in 1324 AD. Apparently there's a dispute over inheritance and then it gets a widow accused of witchcraft. They get rid of her. Uh, Everyone knows that a powerful and intelligent woman is a witch. It's it's a given. That's just the way it is. Didn't you know that? And I'm still in my pentagram. Okay. (laughs) All right. So uh, at that point for the witch hunts, uh, there's about, we estimate somewhere around 60,000 to 300,000 are killed in the witch hunts. um, Because women are seen as weaker, obviously. 1486, the Maleus Maleficarum, the witch's hammer, and becomes the standard test to test for witchcraft, which was a wonderful way. Liam, you know a bit about the, the standard test for witchcraft, don't you? This was the pond? Well, I don't know. Which one? Well, <laughs> very often they'd throw you in a pond, and if you drowned, you were innocent. And if you floated, then you were a witch, and they burned you at the stake. Wasn't that wonderful? So you, <laughs> you, had, you, you had to die to, to prove your innocence no matter what, right? 
uh, it was okay because, you know, they killed you, but they saved your immortal soul. That was basically the, the way you were thinking. so nice of them. I know. That's really kind. Uh, approximately 1516, Martin Luther goes against the church and uh, competes on witch hunting, and then the Protestants are born. Of course, you know, the Catholics at that point say, well, that's the work of the devil as well, and Martin Luther goes the other way and says, no, 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 the devil's actually in the church and the Catholics. So then Satan, hysteria sweeps across Europe. Um, James VI, the king of Scotland at that point, writes demonology. And uh, this is where he goes and writes that witches are everywhere, and Satan is everywhere, and they've become an enemy of the state. Yeah. I know, it's just wonderful how politics get involved in this all of a sudden. Oh, it's all about power. It's just a way to keep people under control. Subjugated and afraid. Of course, it comes to America at that point. Around the late 1600s, the Puritans are strong devil believers. And uh, 1688 in Boston, Mary Glover is hanged. 1691. This is Why the Salem. Was she hanged? This is the Salem witch trials? Uh, well, not that one in Boston. 1691, the Salem witch trials. But Mary is hanged because... She's a witch. She's a witch. Uh, 1691 uh, in Salem, 150 people are arrested, 19 are hung or crushed. That's a wonderful way to go. We're just going to crush you to death. And 17 of them die in prison. Uh, even though <laughs> the funny thing about this is, years later, the Salem jury apologizes, but blames Satan for the whole thing, right? Because the devil made the him do devil it. The devil made him do it. They were trying to get the devil out, but the devil made him do it, which is the wonderful way that you can just. Throw blame on somebody else. Uh, so, so then after, after that, you have the modernism that comes in around the late 1800s, early 1900s. Um, intellectual advances in science, and uh, people start questioning if the devil is real. But the common folk, are, they still strongly agree that, of course, he's real. Uh, this is where Satan's image becomes less monstrous, but a bit more human, right? Um, he, he starts looking, you know, uh, half the time they picture him as a uh, usually a good-looking rich man, you know, he's kind of suave, debonair, and, you know, he's also a bit less smart because they have folk tales of him being fooled, uh, like Faust and all that stuff. So the Industrial Revolution happens, and then Satan becomes a bit more romantic. He becomes a rebel hero at that point, and, and uh, also gave, apparently, rise, apparently, rise to some of the modern version of uh, satanic cults and all that. Which, you know, I actually met the Satanist many, many years ago, and that's when he told me. He doesn't necessarily believe in Satan being a bad guy. He he just likes the idea of worshipping a rebel, which was, after all, the image that Satan always had. If it, this is my interpretation of it. In, around the Industrial Revolution, the people were gaining more personal power to rise the middle class. And and Satan was cast as a, an anti-hero. He, his only crime was aspiring to be as high as God, he was just, you know, he was getting too much power, so that's why God kicked him out of heaven. And so that, that was a very sympathetic figure to people who are just starting to have their own wealth and their own social, um, mobile, upward, upwardly mobile social ability, mm-hmm. if you can put it that way. So then the 20th century comes, and uh, Satan becomes uh, an image of fun. Uh, he's used, he, they start to use him in marketing, you know, a little red devil, a little beard, little horns, and he's kind of winking at you, you know. He's on the label from Odique. Yeah. Very good beer from Unibrew in Quebec. <laughs> <laughs> He's a man among many, and he becomes a bit of a mischievous imp. Uh, the 1960s, 1966, the Church of Satan with Anton LaVey is born. 
It was more like a stunt and a joke, but it gets a lot of publicity and lots of followers. And like I said, that 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 that, that uh, Cygnus I met many years ago, whose name, jeez, I forget his name now. But like you said, they don't actually believe uh, in a devil-like creature, but they like the rebel image. Uh, and uh, there's a there's a line that he he said to me, which I I don't use against Christian whenever I debate with them because atheism is so closely linked to uh, Satanism uh, in those people's mind, not reality, but in those people's mind. Uh, and he, uh, I remember that guy telling me, he said, you know, the funny thing about Satan is, uh, in the Garden of Eden, was by the way, you know, the the Bible never says Satan. It actually says the snake or the serpent, right? The serpent tells the truth about the whole fruit that you consume. God actually tells a lie here. God says, if you eat, you will die. And the serpent says, no, you won't die. You'll just know, right? And that's a, that really stunned me because you never think about that. You always think of Satan as the bad guy. He's the bad guy. He's the bad guy. But in his mind, he was not the bad guy. He was actually the guy who had the guts to tell it the way it is. That's bad <laughs> no, Sorry. it is not. He's just referring to that Muppet movie. Before. Oh, that was awesome. <laughs> um, so this after after the uh, Church of Satan, uh, and after that you have uh, films that came out like Rome, uh, Rosemary's Baby and The Exorcist. Yes. Uh, the film, these films, kind of boost the devil's image back to horror. Um, and these films along with the Church of Satan and all that, basically had the side effect of stroking paranoia across uh, North America. In the 1980s, you had the uh, Satanic Panic, which, by the way, St. Andrews, if, you don't, if you're not listening to this podcast, you should. It made a very good show on this, where everybody thought there were Satanists everywhere, kidnapping babies, and uh, FBI launches an investigation. And, you know. I do re- actually even remember that uh have hearing things on the news and know, oh, don't leave your child alone when you go into the bathroom because people are snatching them and taking them away. I know, it was completely it was insane. Panic about it. it was yeah, completely insane. You know, everybody had, had this thought that there was a Satanist lurking around every corner waiting to snatch your kid and sacrifice him with, with a chicken or something. Um, 50% of Americans believe strongly in the devil. And uh, to up to where we are now, um, 9-11, of course, Bush actually went to France and uh, before 9-11, uh, after 9-11, before the uh, Iraq war, I tried to convince uh, generals and uh, the uh, in France that the Gog and Magog, the demons, were actually in Iraq. This is this is like the re- repercussions or something like this, right? This is the President of the United States. Bush said that the enemy is Satan, and there's some interesting parallel uh you know, between uh, now and then, of course, you know, now we had the Iraq war that was called a crusade, just like the crusades back then, you know, then they had no trials because you were accused of Satanism, and today you have Guantanamo Bay where they lock you up and you have no uh, uh, no trial, no suit whatsoever. Um, there was Colonel uh, Gareth, I hope I'm pronouncing this right, Gareth Baumu, and said the enemy is Satan, and they were saying the same thing back then, you know, it's, it's like we haven't evolved, just the weapons have. The fear of Satan is still very prevalent. It's something I remember when uh, when Bush actually announced the Iraq War that he was going to invade Iraq, and I remember this was pointed out at the time. And it's just a little thing, but I think it gets into people's subconsciousness. He didn't stand in front of a a lectern like a professor would. He was standing in front. Of, he had like the pulpit, like a preacher had that little wooden booth that a preacher uses. Yeah. And that's what he was 
say that's what he was standing at when he said that we're going to invade Iraq. And yeah. That's uh, it's an insidious and horrible thing. It is. It is. And there's a lot of things that got in wordplay, and I think we should do a whole show about this, and we will eventually. Uh, moving on here because time is flying by. Um, there's a lot of names for Satan. Uh, he's known as Beelzebub, which originally was a Philistine god. Azazel, Baphomet, Lucifer, Belial, Mestima, Mephistophilus, Old Hob, Leviathan, Hades, Diabolus, etc., etc., etc. Many names. Mephistophilus is actually not. I think he's like. Isn't he like a senior demon kind of? He's like he's a trickster and he's he's a he's a nasty. Yeah, but it's one of the it's synonyms. Very, very intelligent. Oh, well, you know, he's I, a henchman. I think Leviathan might be a different guy too. There's lots of henchmen. Okay, fair enough. Um, quickly but, uh, before we I conclude think that's with this. Pretty cool because Mephistopheles is very diabolical, very devious. Yeah, they made a, an old black and white vampire movie that was the title of Mephistopheles with uh, Count Orok or something like that. So old black and white, I'll really creepy. Yeah, absolutely. Um, as far as Islam is concerned, um, the devil is um, is more like a jinn. He's, uh, he's called an iblis or a, a shaitan. Uh, he's more like a, a evil spirit. Uh, he says, but he's, God, he says, they say that God created them out of smokeless fire, and uh, they were expelled. They, they were expelled from the uh, Muslim heaven, I guess, when they didn't pay homage to Adam. So humanity is blamed by the jinns for for kicking them out. The, the jinns are blaming Adam and humanity for them not being in paradise. So this is why they're trying to deceive. Uh, Humanity, right? I see. Uh, but they're not depicted as Allah's enemies somehow. It's not the whole uh, dichotomy of uh, black and white like uh, like in the Christianity. In Hinduism, for example, uh, there's no uh, central force entities that can perform evil acts. Uh, Are surahs, those called human? Well, sorry? Are those called human? Asuras, uh, <laughs> maybe, yes. In, in, in reality, yes. You know, stay with me here. I'm going into imaginary <laughs> land. Rahu is one of these prominent Asuras and whose characteristics are similar to Satan, you know, horns and all that stuff. And believers say that uh, when there's too much evil, there's an avatar of Vishnu that rises when, when there's too much evil and to basically bring him back down. And there was very little in Buddha, for Buddhism about that. Um, there's a devil-like figure called Mara, who's a tempter, and uh, he often takes the form of a woman. And, you know, essentially, that yeah. was our... They quick... are monks, after all. So that's not <laughs> yeah. That was our quick look at... Uh, at <laughs> Liam's giving me a funny look. Like, well, what's well, that supposed to be? monks. <laughs> <laughs> no, yeah, of course but not. Yeah, the ones that, you know, the head ones. <laughs> so, so that was our quick look at two, uh, uh, Satan and Lucifer and where the origins of it and where he came from. Uh, you guys have a, anything you want to say about that? Interesting. Yes, indeed. I thought so, too. Uh, there's everybody knows the character, but there's very little we actually know about how it came to be, right? Yes. The whole and hellfire and everything. I think there are Christians who also don't believe in the devil, depending on what your denomination is. He has a greater or lesser prominence in your belief system. Okay, moving on. Uh, shall we do? Uh, let's do our uh, our wonderful feature that we love. Brilliant, Brilliant moments, moments brought to you by religion. I just love that sound effect. Oh, we'll just sit here. <laughs> got some scrabble, Liam? <laughs> <laughs> well, I've got two of them this week. <laughs> two scrabbles? <laughs> no, two moments. 
Uh, I'm going to start with the first one. Uh, I want your opinion on this. Uh, this is from the Muslim world. Um, a Saudi writer, Abdullah Mohammed Al Dawood, uh, basically tweeted. I think I'm pronouncing it right. I think so. I'm sure you are. I have no idea. Okay. Well, Saudi women have been uh, allowed recently to work in public shops. And um, this writer, who is apparently a prominent writer, uh, decided to create to tweet and create a hashtag. And uh, he, the hashtag actually translates literally to hashtag harass females cashier. He's basically saying that he thinks women should remain at home to protect their chassis. So he's basically encouraging his followers to grope women to kind of make them uncomfortable, to make them go back into the house because that's where they belong. Uh, apparently a conservative cleric supports Alderwood uh, by saying that it's a man-made law and it can't be accepted in the kingdom ruled by God's law. Any comment on that? I just got a triple word card. <laughs> um, I can't believe you guys are playing Scrabble while I'm doing this. I'm doing all the heavy lifting here. <laughs> um, I don't want to comment on this, A, because this is so far outside my um, area of any kind of knowledge that this could be being completely twisted and taken out of context, and I would have no way of knowing that. And there's huge human rights injustices right here in my own country. There's huge sexism in my own country. I'll deal with that, and then I will worry about the Saudis after I've dealt with everything here. Fair enough. I also often wonder how many people like listen to that, because it could be just some far-out guy, right? It's hard to tell without being there. Exactly. Yeah. Well, probably he's, a, he's a, apparently a very uh, prominent writer. Yeah, a writer of what? I don't know. But we yeah. don't know that, right? I mean, you could say that... that uh, Ken Ham is a very prominent thinker in the United States. Well, we don't agree with that, and no one does, but his name is known, and so people could say that in Saudi Arabia, and they might say, hey, that's true. Like, we don't know. Ken Ham is a prominent thinker. Were you there? We thought about that one a lot. <laughs> I have another brilliant moment, and this, is, this one has a Canadian uh, thing to it. Um, this is a Canadian uh, evangelist. Uh, his name is Tristan Emmanuel. Now, he published a column in an anti-LGBT website called Barbed Wire. And uh, he does this after a response from, uh, as a response to Bill Maher. And he basically says, uh, does Bill Maher deserve a whipping for slandering God? Now, Bill Maher had basically a, uh, on his show, Real Time with Bill Maher, um, basically had his uh, new rule segment. And he uh, basically uh, had a critique of the film Noah. I, I have the clip here. Do we want to listen to it? Uh, I I don't know. Sure we do. Let's listen. And finally, new rule. No one can blame me when I say this is a stupid country. When 60% of the adults in it think the Noah's Ark story is literally true. Which is why I'm already sick of seeing the ads for this floating piece of giraffe crap. Although, the movie has been condemned by both Christians and Muslims, so it must be doing something right. And they say it also may lose a fortune for the studio, which would put it in hot water with the Jews, too. I don't know about the elephants on Noah's Ark, but the elephant in the room in 2014 is that we are now a full four centuries removed from the scientific revolution. Four centuries after Copernicus. After the time humans realized that through science, we can actually get a real answer to almost every question about our world, like 
Where does the sun go at night? And why does disease spread so quickly on a cruise ship? <laughs> and speaking of cruise ships, you know, I don't mind that the Noah story is impossibly childish. Okay, I do mind. I, what am I saying? I mind very much. I mean, seriously, people, you believe a man, Noah, lived to be 900 years old. That's what the Bible says. And when he was 500, he decided to have three kids, just like Clint Eastwood. <laughs> and when he was 600, he and his three 100-year-old sons <laughs> built a boat onto which, in one day, they loaded over three million animals, all of which were apparently indigenous to within five miles of the boat. <laughs> Anyway, he go he goes on basically uh, slandering God in a way, basically calling him you know. Uh, uh, there's a line where he says uh, you're worshiping basically a, a guy who's got anger issues. He says you know when you're a bigger dick than than, than Russell Crowe you know, and <laughs> in a movie, uh, and you've got anger issues, that's that's a problem. So, so, <laughs> so, um, so then. Uh, Tristan Emmanuel basically goes on and to say that uh, Marr and Richard Dawkins and the late Christopher Hitchens, they all have in common, much in common with the devil, well, of course, because we all do have in common with the devil, don't we all? Sorry. What? Anyway, and uh, he, he basically, uh, he says that Christians should unanimously condemn Marr and he should face stiff penalties for his slanderous crime against God and country. Because he basically says, under God, you're mocking, you're mocking God, you're slandering God, it means you're mocking the authority, and you're disrespecting the laws based on this, that authority, basically saying okay. that America was founded by God's law. So, has gay or, you know, supported gay rights, but it's not okay to make fun of the Noah story. That's, that's what he's saying. He really wants to have his cake and eat it, too, doesn't he? Yes. He's also saying that, I quote, America is hanging on by a thin thread of long-suffering divine justice. Mark my words, a day of reckoning is coming. I don't think most Americans are quite as extreme as he is. Well, you know, apparently there's a lot of that kind of stuff. Okay, so that was our brilliant moment. Okay, let's move on. What shall we do? Shall we do our, get into our debate with Liam, or shall we... I think it's time for yeah. the debate. It's time for... Debate time. Okay. So, we have two debaters. We have... I have here with me Liam Johnson. Liam, go ahead. Would you like to uh, introduce yourself, or would you like me to do it? You're supposed to do that. You're yeah. supposed to say, in the red corner. Okay. He looked like he was going to say something, so he's giving him an opportunity. He's got a mouth guard in his mouth. He can't say anything. That was a really good word, by the way. He just stretched all the way across the board. That was awesome. <laughs> <laughs> all right. So here I have, uh, in the green corner... <laughs> The left corner. In the left corner, <laughs> we have Liam the left-handed. He's uh, Liam the left-handed. Strapping young youth, proud of his North heritage. He's got the long, flowing blonde hair to prove it. And oh, when he came in, I actually thought it was Thor for a second. Just 
Just a lot like of people it. make that mistake. <laughs> <laughs> yes, in case you don't know, Liam is at least uh, seven foot four, four hundred pounds, really beefy. I got my work cut for me. Yes, and in the right corner we have. <laughs> it's the wrong corner. Over there. <laughs> You're the worst ring announcer ever. We have Kevin, who is a strong. He's a diminutive little man. <laughs> Hey, hey, the debate has not started yet. Strongest <laughs> and uh, okay, okay. champion Fine. of crepes everywhere. Those are fighting words. All right. So the debate today, I don't think we've actually mentioned what it is they're debating. <laughs> <laughs> the debate today is <clears throat> pancakes versus crepes. A gripping issue. I know you've all been struggling with this. The debate has been heated in the streets. Everyone is wondering which is really better. Which breakfast flatbread do I really want to have dripping in syrup on my plate? Is it a pancake or is it a crepe? Well, you so, go first. Oh, Liam right. here is defending the pancake. He believes that the pancake is the We are going to let him go now. Right. So to, to properly understand the whole uh, dichotomy between pancakes and crepes, you need to know where they came from. Now, in the beginning, the, the gods ate one food. And it was the pancake. Wait, wait. Are these the Norse gods we're talking the about? The Norse gods. They had one food, and it was the pancake. It was thick. It was heavy. It could sustain them for days of battle. Hey, you, you know, somebody, somebody's going to come in and say, you know what? I've verified that fact, and it's not going to fly. And Let him speak. Let him speak. Okay. Some of these pancakes were inferior. They, they did not have the sustaining power to, to hold up the gods. And so they, they quashed them, they stamped on them, they hit them with things until they were flat and thin, and then they cast them out of Asgard, they where they, they fell to France, and where they were hailed by the local population. <laughs> it's manna from heaven! <laughs> we, we know the Norse people did, they, they ruled France for a while, so this is a feasible yeah. um, yeah. The Norse ruled France? Yes, they did. did. Where do you think Normans came from? Oh, North sure. men, right? You see, he 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 doesn't know his history. Really. Yeah, <laughs> I don't know France history. Okay, fine. Where's my notes? Oh, you need notes to win this debate, eh? Oh, it was researched deeply. <laughs> okay, all right. That that was your that was one of your points. That's it. Is that is that all you got? That's all you coming at me with? You saying that they are pancakes of the food of the North? Yeah. What That's more do you want? Oh, okay. Well, the, the reason the reason that the the uh, the Norse god ate that. Is... <laughs> See? <laughs> okay. The great thing about crepes, okay, the crepes, they have more class as a meal. All right? Let's, let's face it. It's a classier food, okay? You can use that myth of sending the crepes to France, but it frankly doesn't fly. Okay? The re- the... I think they fell, actually. <laughs> Whose side are you on? You're supposed to be impartial oh, I'm referee. Sorry. I'm, sorry. I'm sorry. Two against one here, as usual. Maybe they were like a Frisbee. <laughs> no, no, no. See, see, see. The, the great thing about crepes is they can be both a breakfast, a meal, and a dessert. It's a multitasker. It's a, it's a, it's a, a metaphor for what life is today. You know, that's why pancakes should fall by the wayside because they belong in myth. You know. Um, let him speak. Let him speak. This is your opening argument. So have you? Uh, have more uh, apart from your flatbread as a multitasker. <laughs> Well, I think it's the first good point. Oh, well, okay. Uh, no, speak, to counter this point, okay. um, you can eat a pancake by itself. 
You can just pick up a pancake and take a bite out of it. It is a food that stands for itself, right? A pank or a crepe needs toppings, right? That's why you can have it for breakfast and for dessert because you put different things on it. You're actually eating eggs or strawberries. The crepe is just like a, a plate that you can eat. You know, it's it's not the important part of that meal. <laughs> That's a wrong argument, sir, because, you know, you can eat anything by itself. Your kids okay, eat but, sand by themselves. You know, that's no, no. No, you, you, but it's not a good meal. A, a pancake will sustain you by itself. It will be delicious oh, by itself. Of course it will sustain you by itself because it's so brick heavy. They use it for mortar in some countries, I'm pretty sure. Well, no. Crepes, they use as this crepe, right? It's a thin kind of paper. <laughs> yes, and you know what? <laughs> Actually, the Victorians used it to I'm not listening to you. You're not impartial. So you eat, you eat crepes <laughs> when you're sad. You're, you're not impartial, and I really don't think I should be listening to you. And I'm sorry. Okay, go go ahead. Go ahead. See, now, now I've completely lost. I've been punched in the yeah. face by this this barbarian here. <laughs> oh, jeez. Um, whose turn is it? Is it my turn? It's yes, your turn. <laughs> you better have some sort of counter-argument. Uh, yes, I had some counter-argument at some point, <laughs> which I will refer to my notes again. Uh, geez, did I go through all my arguments already? <laughs> so you're out of fodder. Um, this is too easy, Kevin. <laughs> <laughs> okay, I was not I prepared. Had a sustaining pancake. Yeah. See, <laughs> you only ate a crepe, and now your mind is wandering. <laughs> you don't have the calories you need. <laughs> uh, yeah. Okay. So um, where was I? Okay, so the, so the, like I said, the crepe is is a multitasker, and you can use it for everything. And, you, uh, and it's a great argument because you can also um, cater every occasion with it, right? Crepes right? for every meal. Absolutely, you can have crepe Suzettes, and you can have crepe with meat. You can have you know crepe as a dessert. You can have crepe for breakfast. Uh, the pancakes. I mean, frankly, I, I think when you break when you do a pancake meal, because you've given up. Like you might as well wear your old sweatpants and not comb your hair and not put on makeup. You've basically said to the world, I've given up. This sucks. You know, I'm going to eat the, the lowest common denominator okay, food I can find. Let, let, let's, let's look at this, though, because you, you could easily say in every situation where you eat a crepe, you're just eating the toppings. You know, and if I'm having a breakfast crepe that has eggs on it, I could just have eggs. If I'm having a dessert crepe that has whipped cream and whatever on it, I can just have that, too. Like, the, the crepe is not the important part of that meal. It's kind of like, like sprinkling salt on whatever you're eating. You know, it's, it's not really part of the meal. It's what a topic. What are you talking about? The salt is the flavor. It's, a, it's important. Okay, but it, it doesn't make the meal, right? Well, that's like saying, okay, I'm going to eat a brick of butter and say that's my meal. That's what a pancake is. You're eating a brick or something. No, you it's, don't. It's material for material's sake. You, no. Have no, you have no flair in it. There's no inspiration. It's It's... So bland. And I want, I want to eat it. not bland. Okay, I, I'm just asking for clarification. Essentially, the ingredients are the same, except for pancakes have a leavener to make them thick. So how are crepes more flavorful than pancakes? I am shutting down your mic because you're not impartial <laughs> at all. Your mic has I'm been shut. No, that. your mic has been shut. I'm sorry. You're not, you're not she has a valid point. She does not have a valid point. Okay. This is two against one. Well, what's the problem with her point? Well, I, can't, I, can't, I can't possibly <laughs> Can win this debate. Can you please elaborate the problem with her point? <laughs> the problem is here is I'm facing two opponents. And just raising his voice. That means and I'm doing The the fact, the stronger the opinion. <laughs> oh, God. This is not going well. You've lost. 
I have not lost. You I, have to. I, okay, okay, closing comments. We'll let Kevin go first with closing comments. Closing comments already? Yes. Uh, well, um, I really am going to complain to the commission about debates for this, and I might actually go and take a class on debating people more than once at a time. <laughs> um, that's all I can say. <laughs> Crazy, your closing comments. Oh, you know all, I, all I need is your closing comments to show that I won. No, you no, don't no. address okay, the debate okay. here. Well, you've, you've shied away. You know you've lost. Look, okay. I'm just going to make one point here, okay? One very good point. Now, if you were to have a crepe, would you, would you make it better if you put Aunt Jemima on it? No. You but you would with a pancake. You can't make anything better by putting... And Jemima on. Well, There's, you know what? The majority like of people will disagree. On it. I no, but now we're debating whether all Jemima is good. But on a pancake, all Jemima fits. So that's no, where that's the, where that's no, why. Maybe you're eating crazy. like a cardboard pancake out of a box. No. <laughs> okay, Liam. Close, closing comments, Liam. Oh, I, I had my closing comments. Oh. That was your closing comments to say that I'd won because you shied away. Well, you should at least <laughs> mention a pancake in your closing I did. comments. Well, well, pancakes are superior because they are something in and of themselves. They're not just an airy thought. (laughs) Debate is over. I think we might have to have a rematch for that. Yeah, one one that's more prepared. (laughs) You can't call a winner. You're so impartial. Oh, you know what? Um, Well, you know what? Uh, Please, audience, come to my defense here. Uh, Send us an email. Left at Valley at Outlook dot com. Send me some uh, suggestions how to, to our, beat these. Our website www.leftatthevalley all one word no dots or left at the valley right. Left at the valley yeah. at uh, dot com. Left at the valley dot com. Or you can send us a comment. Let us know who you think won our debate part one because I'm sure there will be a rematch. Yeah, <laughs> that was like so unfair. Back when Kevin has some facts. <laughs> <laughs> Hey, I'm doing the technicality here, so I'm like juggling three balls at once. Oh, sure. All right, fine. Let's move on to something else. <laughs> like to play Scrabble? <laughs> There's three minutes in the show left. Uh, How many? Three? Thirty. Thirty. We've already been doing this for an hour. Time flies when you have fun. Oh yeah, there's like a few minutes left, not thirty minutes. So are we doing our spot on the uh, on the bill? I'm just a bill. Yes, I'm only a bill. No, but no. I'm what, what, here on what we wanted to do here is we wanted. Sorry. <laughs> last show. Last show we had. Company. Company. <laughs> last show we had. Basically, we started doing a, a spotlight on uh, people that think uh, we think are somewhat inspirational. And uh, today, well, of course, we talked about the devil, but we don't think that's inspirational. But we do have uh, somebody that we think you should take a look at, and that's, of course, Bill Nye, the science guy. Bill Nye, the science guy. Bill Nye, the science guy. Bill, 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 Bill. You go ahead, and Bill. Tell us about Bill. Bill's awesome. Really, the most important thing you need to know about Bill is that he wears a bow tie. Um. Bill Nye, science guy, born in Washington, D.C. on November 27, 1955. Um, he had a kind of a interesting family. His mother, actually, his father was a soldier. He was held in a Japanese prisoner of war, prisoner of war camp for, for four years during the Second World War. His mother was recruited by the American Army to be a code breaker in World War II. 
that's, mm. that's super cool. She was very, very good at math and science. And uh, I think that's pretty awesome because it, still, sadly, women are often overlooked when it comes to math and science, considered that they just aren't good at those subjects, which is completely ridiculous, and she obviously proves that that is not the case. Well, you're not very good at moderating debates, that's for sure. You know what? You made a comment in your pancake thing, your crepe thing, that, you know, not putting on makeup is the, means you've given up on the world. Excuse me, that was a pretty sexist and comment. And the so show we just went just... down. You know. <laughs> All right. How do you know that I never put on makeup and I think it's uh, not a bad thing? Well, I was talking for myself. <laughs> nice cover. Anyway, Bill Nye? Anyway, this is rapidly devolving. <laughs> so, he uh, he went to Cornell University and got a Bachelor of Science in Mechanical Engineering, graduated in 1977. He actually had Carl Sagan as a professor when he was at Cornell. And after he graduated, he worked at Boeing in Seattle. And uh, he, they, he invented some airplane parts that they still use at Boeing. Yeah, he's also very good at saying at that point when he says that, uh, the invented some part of Boeing says, oh, don't worry, people, that was very well supervised. <laughs> so he, he worked at Boeing, actually, for 16 years. And then just just before he turned 38, he uh, he well he started so he was working at Boeing and then he started doing some stand-up comedy, but he didn't quit his day job. So he he did stand-up comedy for a while and then when that actually started to become popular and take off, he did quit Boeing, and uh, he wrote and performed for Almost Live, the comedy show. And so when he was on Almost Live, they created the sketch, the Science Guy, and. Uh, and that was so popular that PBS actually created a show just for him, Bill Nye the Science Guy. It started on September 10th, 1993, and it ran till June 20th, 1998. So that was a five-year run. In that five years, he got 18 Emmy Awards for writing, for producing. He did a lot of the work on the show, and there was there's just 100 episodes that got them. Wow. 18 Emmys. Wow. Pretty still in schools. Absolutely. I could see them in science class regularly. Pretty cool. Um, so Not before or after you feed them pancakes? Generally after. They get a good solid breakfast. Before they go to school. <laughs> what's, what's, what's the science grade? I want to know. Um, so, <laughs> I don't think they can hear you, Zoom. <laughs> now he's moderating. <laughs> yeah, what is this becoming a debate between you and I? Anyway. So uh, after uh, the popularity of the science guy, they, they, he, Bill Nye uh, starred on more TV shows, and he wrote uh, five children's books on science that were based on the Bill Nye, the science guy series, pardon me. And he, uh, he in the early, so he, he's mostly done that kind of thing, TV shows, and movies, he's done spots on different, in different, kids' movies and things like that. Uh, there was another show that, that aired in 2005 called The Eyes of Nine. It's a more uh, aimed at a older audience. There was only 13 episodes about it from PBS. Mm. And he studied things like climate change. Um, so he he's mostly, since Bill Nye the Science Guy, because he became so popular after that, he hasn't really... He he's just been able to be Bill Nye and, and advocate for science, and that has been his career, which is pretty awesome. Well, very recently he squared off against Ken Ham uh, in the debate versus yeah. uh, creation versus uh, uh, evolution. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. 
So, but which I think he basically plastered Ken Ham, if you ask me. So that has been his his career. Essentially, has been a science educator. But in, in addition to that, he's done some other kind of cool stuff that people don't really know about. In the tr- early 2000s, he developed a sundial to be used on the Mars Exploration Rover mission. It's cool. Called, it's called the Mars Dial. Apparently, when his dad was in the prisoner of war camp, he developed a sundial to, to be able to tell what time it was. And so he became fascinated with sundials. And that's something he passed on to Bill Nye. And so, nice. Yeah, Bill Nye, was, he made a, a sundial, a Mars dial, to go on the little Rovix, Mars Explorer. Mars it's Rovix, it's Rovix. those little things that you don't know about, right? Yeah. And uh, in 2005 to 2010, he was the vice president of the Cornell University Planetary Society. Um, <clears throat> one of the largest space interest groups. They promote you know, space exploration and the education for... Stop feeling with your wire. I can hear it. Sorry. And he's a fellow on the Committee for Skeptical Inquiry. Now, he has become, he's always known as a science guy, but in late, just in the last few years, he's become known as an atheist um, because he has strongly advocated for science in the classroom and the end of teaching creationism. And, and that was a big deal. That was why he debated Ken Ham. Yeah, yeah. He made a spot on the Big Think where he basically said, you know, it's fine if you want to you want to believe in uh, creationism and all that. I mean, he's basically uh, pleading for the kids and saying, you know, we need the kids. And that's his central message right now. You know, we need uh, for, for the, the Western world to stay on top. He says we need those kids to be involved in science. And I think he's on the forefront of that battle um, to get people back interested in science, and I can not, I can do nothing but commend him for that, because God knows ever since the uh, what I call the neoconservatives came in in the uh, late seventies, early eighties, there's been a tremendous drop in this kind of stuff from Carl Sagan, and now with the advent of Cosmos coming back and Bill Nye, so I can do nothing but praise him for that. And he's a great guy. We met him in Tacoma. He is. He's a nice guy. He's really cool. Like he, he has a BSc. I, I always thought of him somehow as having a PhD in being. No, a, he's a mechanical engineer. Yeah. yeah, but he, he, the great thing about him is that he can impart that information so well. He makes science cool. He's been on Dancing with the Stars. He's been on America's Most Smartest Model, which is a show that I hope I never have to see. But the point <laughs> is, it's a popular TV show, and he's there, and he's promoting science. I think he's taking science to the corners of the world where it might not normally get. And uh, he is a persona on a few Disney rides. He, he's very accessible to kids. He makes science fun. He is very into hands-on education, so he does a lot of demonstrations, which is the, the best way to learn, right? People can see it in, in action, and then they understand it. And uh, I just being a really good educator who can reach all audiences is, is a rare and wonderful talent that he has. I think it would be would be a great project is to have some kind of science fair here in the in the Fraser Valley, a big science fair, and have him and Neil deGrasse Tyson or something like that come down here and be the judges. That would be awesome. That would inspire a lot of kids to go back into science, which is sorely needed. So that was it. That was a spot on Bill Nye. That's my spot on Bill Nye. Okay. Uh, where are we at here? I think we are drawing too close. Oh, we're we're time for my rant. I think. <laughs> All right. Last week, a man died. Fred Phelps, founder of the infamous Westboro Baptist Church, breathed his last breath last week 
to the relief of many. Now, I know we're not supposed to speak ill of the dead, but I think we can make an exception in the late fire and brimstone preacher because speaking ill of the dead was kind of his thing. Phelps helped make religious hate mainstream. He and his congregation are well known for picketing funerals with the God hates fags and thank God for that soldier sign. His brand of religious conviction preyed on fear, misunderstanding, and can I, I can already hear some of you saying, come on, Cav, he wasn't a true Christian. He wasn't following the teaching of God and religion. Does no harm. Newsflash, Phelps followed exactly what the Bible said. He once quipped that you couldn't preach the Bible without preaching the anger and hatred of God for his creations. The blood-soaked big book of Jewish fairy tale is quite clear on many aspects of our lives, from homosexuality, slavery, or women's right. The big cheese is kind of a jerk, and Phelps' congregation took it to heart as their mission to spread the word. Phelps found out that you can launder hate through religion and scapegoat your responsibility with the Nuremberg defense. I was just following orders, God's orders. Most Christians don't agree with the Westboro Baptist Church views and certainly not their method. The same people will criticize moderate Muslims for not reining in fanatical jihadist Muslims, but they remain quite silent about the source and inspiration of it all, the supposed holy word of God, just like Muslims are quiet about their source, the Quran, also supposed the word of God. Phelps was a Christian fanatic, and his methods were as devastating as he strapped on a, a vest of C4 himself. His legacy is one of broken families, trauma, and tears, as he understood that it's easier to throw people with hatred than with reason. And while you might be tempted to hack at the fiery bush of hatred called religion, I suggest you chip at the roots of the plant, the source, the holy book itself. Why don't you just sit down one day and read the thing? After all, if you're a believer, shouldn't you have read God's manual by now? And once... And once you realize the horror and reality that your life is modeled after the primitive, bigoted, misogynistic, homophobic, racist, genocidal, sadomasochist writings of Bronze Age goat herders, you will come to the inevitable conclusion that religion belongs in the infancy of our species and needs to stay there. Religion must die for mankind to move forward, like Phelps, who ironically has apparently been ex excommunicated by his own church, shortly uh, before his death, will keep creating hate-filled Frankenstein monsters like the Westboro Baptist Church and will keep inflicting suffering upon humanity. The inoculation of this faith virus and against Phelps and his ill is knowledge, and that starts with you. All right. Well, that takes us to the end of our show. So what do we got going on for next time? You don't know anything? You don't know anything. I'm sorry. <laughs> no, next time. Next time we have um, Ken Harar decide to come. And uh, Ken Harar, if you don't know him, is... Uh, he's, oh, jeez. I need to look at something. Ken Harar here is the, um, the founder for uh, Cycling for Diversity. He's really big on the multiculturalism. He was the uh, journalist for the Abbotsford Time. Well, I guess now he's freelance, but he uh, will come to us and we'll discuss racism. We also invited uh, John Vissers. Can you tell us about John Vissers? Well, he's a local activist. 
activist. He's involved in many, many things. Fraser Valley Land Conservancy, uh, Light Rail for the Valley. He's involved in uh, currently preventing trying to prevent incinerators from coming to the valley, garbage incinerators. He has worked tirelessly to support Fraser Valley and all sorts of environmental causes. His big uh, he's a huge part of the fight against the P3 water and um, the Sumas Valley. Can't remember what that was called now. That was that was a long time ago. But uh, anyway, he tirelessly fights for the environment and, and works to improve life in the Fraser Valley. Excellent. So we'll see that in uh, probably two weeks. Uh, we also uh, went to see Eugenie Scott um, yesterday at the no, not yesterday, Friday at the uh, UFV. And uh, we actually recorded that. And if the audio is good, we'll probably do an extra show and just post a lecture for those of you who missed it. Eugene Scott is a very wonderful, tireless advocate for science in the classroom as well. She's from the United States. And uh, really, really informative and interesting lecture. Anything else you want to add to that? Thank you very much for our special guest, Liam. Yeah, you're talking way too much, Liam. Please, please start shining up there. And his advocacy on behalf of Pancakes Everywhere. We thank you for joining us. Liam, you will have a reoccurring role in the show, I hope? Yeah, I think so. Okay, good. When I have something to say. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, until next time, people, uh, be safe. And uh, like I said, uh, feel free to post, uh, talk to us on Facebook or uh, email us at uh, left at valley at outlook.com. Until then. I'm <laughs> going